This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. I am Stephen Long, and I am still here with Matt Langston, and we are going through the Nashville Statement. I, as a real-life gay person, (laughs) am (laughs) responding blow-by-blow to the Nashville Statement as Matt reads it to me. So we, the conversation is, is kind of taking off, and we're um exploring a lot and or we've... we're taking off on tangents or we're going exactly yeah. we're going off on tangents fun tangents <laughs> i hope they are as fun to you as they are to us um we're having a great time yes and so we've decided to to uh extend this into another episode and continue reading the the Nashville statement so if you haven't listened to the previous episode go ahead and go back and do that so you will be caught up yeah, so so we've been been going through the Nashville statement. I think in the previous episode we only got through Article Two. <laughs> yes, after like an hour. <laughs> How many of these are there in here? So I think there's fifteen articles. Oh God, we'll be here all day <laughs> in total. It's great. <laughs> I know this could be like an entire season, just sort of like walking through this, and it could be. Um, okay, cool. So, are you ready for Article Three? I'm ready. Okay, my body is ready. Brace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so. Article 3 of the Nashville Statement is, we affirm that God created Adam and Steve, I'm sorry, Eve. um, Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) (laughs) For God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings in his own image, equal before God as persons and distinct as male and female. We deny that the divinely ordained differences between male and female render them unequal in dignity or worth. I'm down with that. It sounds reasonable. I mean, yeah, men and men and women are different. Yeah. 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 And they're equal. Great. <laughs> now, I have a feeling that they have a different spin on that than I do. I, yeah, I think, you know, I think the intent I, behind that is is a little you different. You know, they I I believe that in a marriage Men and women are genuinely equal. One is not above or below the other. And sure, they have different roles. But guess what? John and I have different roles, too. And That's, and that's, that's being human. That that's being a, human. That really have a lot to do with gender. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so I don't think that women should submit to their husbands. I th- well, I do. But I think husbands should husbands should submit to their wives as well. I think the Bible says both of those things. So exactly. I, I think so, <laughs> too. correct in saying and, that? And so, <laughs> I, I don't know. I take that actually at face value. What they are saying here, I take it at face value. And I say, yeah, that's true. At face value, that is absolutely true. Men and women are both made equally in the image of God. Yes. They, it- and they they are different now maybe those differences are more exaggerated maybe they're like talking about sex roles or 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 gender roles and i think those are bullshit social constructs but there are physiological and neurological differences between men and women that is a fact yeah that's that's genetics um yes so i i think that i wouldn't be as wary of statements like this because truly on the surface it, it does seem like like you could hang with and, it, but but if you poke it a bit more, you're like, wait. Well, it's a coming from, it's coming from this same coalition of people that get, that got together and basically over over this idea of complementarianism. Yes, exactly. Where it's like men have a specific role and they're going to tell you what what that role is, and then women have another 
specific role, and they're both equally as great, but they're very distinct, and you should you should adhere to those two roles. There yes. shouldn't be any smearing of them, um, which I, I think is still just like, I don't know, it just it still feels like somebody is saying, no, here's here's a really beautiful thing that we have control over interpreting. Yes, exactly. And I think that's that's what's hard for me. Um, I have several thoughts on this. Okay. The the first thought is I am perfectly comfortable with saying that there is such a thing as male and female, mm-hmm. that those sex differences exist, yeah. and that they are different. I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. Now, where I may differ is is in saying that I think gender does exist mm. and sex does exist, but it is far more complicated mm. than we previously understood. So think about the progression that we have gone through from uh, of, of understanding the most basic elements of the universe. It mm. used to be fire, water, earth, and air. Okay? Right. Yeah. It has progressed <clears throat> to the periodic table. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we are going through a similar progression with gender. Yeah. Okay. Where we have generally believed that it is just basically male, basically female mm. in, in hard categories. I would say that is mostly true, 99% true. Mm. That, that I fi- pulled that figure out of my ass. Please don't crucify me. Okay. Yeah. Um, but mostly true. But there are a good number of people in twilight between day and night and between those extremes. And we are discovering that gender is just a hell of a lot more complicated. Mm. I believe that gender exists. I don't believe that it is simple. Now, when people hear something like this, you know, a common accusation thrown at people like me is that, oh, you don't believe in gender at all. Which is bullshit. <laughs> I believe in gender. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for telling me what I believe based off yes, of one exact, thing you heard me based say. Off of, based off of one. It, it's, it's similar to the false dichotomy of morality versus no morality. Right. You either believe in gender or you don't believe in gender. No, I believe in gender. I believe that gender is very complicated. Sure. I believe that the vast majority of us are male and female. Mm-hmm. But then <clears throat> there are intersex people. There are trans people. And... That's a very complicated subject that I admittedly do not know enough about. Mm. But they they are real. Sure. Okay, so I I believe that gender is more complicated than we have ever historically believed it to be, mm. at least in the Western world. And then my my second feeling about this, there is a difference between normal and normative. Okay, so let me explain that. It is normal for male and female to fit together. You know, you know, pe- people always say it goes like this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, putting, <laughs> I'm putting my finger in my fist, okay? For those of you who, who need the visual. Yeah. Okay. It is normal for male and female to fit together. Right. That is normal for the vast majority of humanity. Okay. The, the, the failed logical leap is that because it is normal, it is therefore normative, mm. morally normative. It is so, yes, because it is normal, of course, scripture 
addresses it as normal. Mm. Of course, Jesus just talks about a man and a woman getting married. Mm. Of course, Genesis is Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve because it's normal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It is the vast majority of experience when it comes to sexuality. Mm. That does not mean it is normative. Okay? Mm. That is the leap that happens. Yeah. Is that because it is normal, it is therefore normative. That because it is normal, that that to mess with that is a, is tantamount to to messing with with DNA and suddenly you have a monster on your hands that's going to destroy humanity. <laughs> right. That's how they see it, and that's yeah. how I saw it. Is that there is this and ba- okay, so gender complementarianism yeah. basically states that male and female within marriage that is the only holy moral container for mm. sexual experience. I actually just recently wrote an article on this on my website that you can check out. Well, well you had, you had said you had said God's best. Yes. In, in the that previous it is, podcast. That it is God's best. Yeah. And and I've written a I I wrote an article kind of spelling out more my my thought process on this called gender complementarianism is superstition. Mm. I believe that that belief is superstition. It is magical thinking right. to believe right. that that is a morally exclusive route mm. based on a holy text that is perceived as right only because it says it is right. Mm. Okay? That is superstition. Yeah. And people will get angry with me. They will say that's an oversimplification. They will say it probably is. But that's where I'm at. I used to believe, I I used to be an adamant supporter of gender complementarianism, and I saw it as clearly as as the as the mountains right out your window. Okay, <laughs> right. it was so it was as obvious to yeah. me as that, and I believed in it with as much certainty and with as much clarity as I believe in the multiplication table or the theory of gravity. Okay, yeah. it was that obvious to me, and that's the way it is to people who believe in it. It is a fact of life. It is a law of nature. Mm-hmm. But as I have lived it, yeah. As I have lived in a gay partnership, mm. as I have gone through my deconstruction mm. as a Christian, yeah, I now see it, I believe, for what it is. To say that male and female plus marriage equals a, a morally exclusive and superior state is magic. Mm. It's magic. You are saying that the combination of male plus female plus marriage equals something better. That's magic. Right. That is gender alchemy. Which is a hard pill to swallow by the time that you're approaching your 30s and a lot of your friends who followed all these rules and who did it by the book um, are divorced. Exactly. Or they're they're dead. And meanwhile... <laughs> They've overdosed. Yes. They've, like... There's, it just doesn't entirely line up with with, reality. with what's happening around you right now. Anybody that's like living in the real world, and you know, I'll, <laughs> seeing all this stuff happen. I'll tell you that I started to experience this this horrible dissonance. It, the metaphor I use, I, okay, I, I started to experience this horrible dissonance when I 
when I believed this and when I was committed to celibacy. Actually, I was going to marry a woman. Mm. I, I had a girlfriend. Yeah. And then I was like, well, that didn't work. Um, <laughs> we can talk more about that later. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And then I committed myself to, to lifelong celibacy in, mm. in case a miracle happens. Sure. And the metaphor I used to describe it is I think it was Robert Schumann, the composer, who, st- who first heard this, this humming in his head and it was annoying and, and then it slowly deteriorated into yeah. becoming louder and louder and louder yeah. and louder until it just turned into a shriek and it was constant and he was sent to an insane asylum and he died insane wow and that is what that dissonance was like for me mm. where at first it was small that this is my life. <clears throat> this is my existence that yeah. we're talking about. We're not talking about some theoretical thing. Yeah. Some I did not have the luxury of being su- supported by gender complementarianism in my morally superior heterosexual marriage. Sure. I did not have that. This was my life that we right. were talking about. And it just didn't cohere with the reality I lived. And I said, well, you know. It doesn't matter what I see in the world around me. Yeah. This is God's word and I have to uphold it. Mm. I have to shut down my being. I have to shut down my spirit, my soul, my very essence in order to affirm this (laughs) theoretical thing, right? Yeah. And that turns into sociopathic theology. It turns into a theology in which you are willing to shut down the experience and the heart of other people. You're willing to shut down empathy for other people. Yeah. And for yourself to uphold this theory of gender based on an ancient text. That's what it became for me. I think I think at the very least you you kind of reach this crisis of belief where you have to you have to decide what part of biblical teaching you're going to adhere to. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I don't think it's ever safe for somebody to say this is what God said, I know exactly what he meant by it, and even though it, everything happening in my heart and around me right now doesn't feel great about this. I'm just going to turn off my logic. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to turn off my feelings. Yes. I'm going to dehumanize myself to uphold scripture or a rule or something put into place that it was my understanding was was made to give me life more abundantly, not to mute the life that I already have. Yes. So at some point you have to you have to like you have to rectify those two things. You yes. have to decide. Rachel Held Evans has a wonderful blog post from several years ago that really, really spoke to me, and it's called The Scandal of the Evangelical Heart. Mm-hmm. So there's this book out there. I forget the author, and it's called the, the Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And basically what it's saying is, you know, evangelicals are fucking stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, the, that's the basic gist of it, is that we don't think through stuff. We aren't, there is this scandal of the evangelical mind and that there is no evangelical mind. That's the, well, Rachel Held Evans actually counters that. And she said, no, the scandal, of the evangelical world right. is its heart. Mm. And that she grew up in a church where they, um, she watched on the news as a woman, a Muslim woman was killed. Mm. It was, I think, an honor killing or something. Yeah. And that. She, her friends, her church was saying that because she lived in the Muslim world, mm-hmm. by no fault of her own, 
the bad luck of the draw. Yeah. She never heard the gospel, and she's going to burn in hell for eternity. And they were totally okay with that. Okay? <laughs> they were completely fine with the fact that there is this other human being, that there are these huge swaths of humanity that will burn in hell. Right. Because they are ordained by God. Yeah. In Calvinism, yeah. they are ordained by God to burn in hell. And they are okay with that concept. They are okay with essentially the concept of eternal gas chambers in which God does and does a cosmic ethnic cleansing of all the sinners. That's exactly right. what that is. Yeah. And she said they are okay with that. This is the scandal yeah. that they that we become so committed to an internally consistent theology that we lose touch with our heart. Yeah. I see this in in gender complementarianism, mm -hmm. where it is it is not within itself self-contained contrary to reason. Sure. It is self-contained and reasonable within its own sphere, mm. but it lacks reality. Yeah. And it therefore churns into something monstrous. It churns into something psychopathic. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think that, I think those are, um, those are quite pointed, uh, thoughts and, uh, we're only through Article 3. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Article <laughs> 4. natural statement. <laughs> let's move on to Article 4. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In typical Nashville fashion. <laughs> this is long and complicated and drawn out. <laughs> I don't know and anything it, about Nashville, so oh, that, yeah. that's lost on me. Yeah, it's, um, yeah if, you're, if you're from Nashville, good for you. Article four. Was that a diss towards no, Nashville? Oh, well, I don't no, know. There's some, there's some amazing people that live in Nashville. Na Nashville's a hard, it's a hard town because yeah. it is so, everything is so, like, I don't know, su superficial, I guess is the right yeah, way. Not was, to say that I, all the people are superficial, but. I was stranded in Nashville for yeah. for several days, and it was a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, I was, that's when I was going through my really intense goth phase. And so it was me and oh, a bunch yeah. of goths going to like honky tonk bars and, oh, yeah. and it was awesome. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. that's awesome. Um, yeah. So, so here we go. Article four, we affirm that divinely ordained differences between male and female reflect God's original creation design and are meant for human good and human flourishing. We deny that such differences are a result of the fall or are a tragedy to be overcome. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I don't I, I don't <clears throat> believe that that gender difference. Oh, 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 okay. I think I see I yeah. think I see what they're saying. We affirm okay. that divinely ordained differences between male and female. I, I'm I'm guessing they're assuming sexual differences. Well, also I think they're talking about gender roles, like women being submissive. That to would men. stand to reason. I think that's what they're talking about because there is actually an argument in egalitarian circles in the church that yes, women submit to men, but that is a result of the fall, and that as we return to creation, to Eden, as we restore that original vision, we are actually equalizing men and women and that submissiveness is a result of the fall and so i think that's what they're talking about maybe yeah i would love to have somebody from the nashville statement sort of give well actually i feel like i've heard a lot of those we should have them on <laughs> those we arguments, should just... but absolutely <laughs> i mean we're all about keeping the conversation going and yeah you and i are probably of the same mind about a lot of this stuff yes. so um i completely understand how the conversation may turn into something a little linear um, 
but yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll try to play devil's advocate here. A yeah, bit. play it totally. Play um, devil's advocate. That such differences are, we deny that that the differences between male and female are the result of the fall. I I, I, I kind of feel con- like there's there might be some Christianese leanings in here that I'm not. And there's a lot of and and I feel like there's a lot of subtext there because I don't know what they mean by that. I don't think that differences between male and female are part of the fall. I think that differences between male and female are the results of evolution taking its course. So you'd actually agree with them in this statement on this specific portion of the statement. Well, I agree with them not knowing what they mean. Right. Because I assume if if I assume that they're meaning being being submissive to their husbands and and all that. Yeah. I if that's what they mean then no I don't agree. But I agree that male and female is good. Yeah. So if I'm a lawyer then I then I have, then this sucks. I, yeah. It really does cuz I'm like <laughs> define divinely define divinely ordained. Yeah. Differences yeah. what what those are. <clears throat> Because I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what those differences are that you're referring to. Um, that they reflect God's original creation design and are meant for human good and human flourishing. So, in essence, what I hear the saying is that like there are some differences that are divinely ordained, and by calling those differences divinely ordained, you're also kind of admitting that there are some that are not. Mm. And yeah. and the reason I'm digging into this and poking holes in it is because I know for sure. Well, more than likely, I would hope that all these people in this room really did think this thing through. I would hope so. And I think that they are trying to say a lot without saying without a lot. Without saying much. Yeah. Because um, I give them the benefit of the doubt that they're probably incredibly intelligent people. Oh, absolutely. They're um, very smart. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I know that they are. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just kind of left confused with that one. So let's Let's table on. it. Let's, let's go to Article 5. Yeah, this is great. Um, Article 5, we affirm that the differences between male and female reproductive structures... Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in public school right now. Uh Um, We affirm that the differences between male and female reproductive structures are integral to God's design for self-conception as male or female. So so this seems sort of pointed towards... As self-conception. Yeah. Okay, so say for, for, for self conception as male or female. Oh, 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 so you yeah. so for your perception of self as your gender. So okay, so it. basically if you like you're you're either born male or female reproductive wise, and that those things are integral to how you should be perceiving yourself as male or female. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you could have opened the podcast with that, and that would have been yes, such a great the, the opening of the site. We've moved from coffee to yeah. tea to cider. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> well, we just... you were taking your life into your own hands, yes. giving me alcohol. By the way, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's kind of a podcast tradition, it, and it's only what time is it? it it's... Uh, we just passed noon, so we're we good. just pa- okay. Yeah. So, so I'm officially not an alcoholic. Yeah, okay, yeah, not yet. We're, you're not fif- great. You're 15 not, minutes not removed from being an alcoholic. Great. <laughs> Okay, so we affirm that we deny that physical anomalies or psychological conditions nullify the God-appointed link between biological sex and self-conception as male or female. Mm. So I, I'm willing to I'm willing to bet that there aren't a lot of scientists. <laughs> that are making this statement that they're evangelical uh, leaders. And maybe there are. I could be totally wrong with that. I'm willing to bet that there are 
zero. Right, but this seems like it seems like if you had a scientist in the room, that they would be like, uh, or, science is constantly and, moving and changing. Have an endocrinologist who specializes yeah. in gender, and yeah, it's a different story. Yeah, um, or someone who who may be religiously unbiased. Okay, so so read that whole thing the okay. to me one more time so I can absorb it. Article five. We affirm that the differences between male and female reproductive structures are integral to God's design for self-conception as male or female. We deny that physical anomalies or psychological conditions nullify the God-appointed link between biological sex and self-conception as male or female. So you can't, so I guess what they're saying is we deny that you can blame Okay. Any of the smear. So this is so on this physical is about, anomalies or physical conditions. So now we're getting into transgender stuff. Yeah, basically. absolutely. Okay. I really need to have someone on the podcast who is transgender because I am woefully, to my shame, very uninformed about transgender stuff. The <laughs> basically the only experience, basically what I know is that I have a few transgender friends, and. They, their witness to me mm-hmm. has, <clears throat> their witness to me has convinced me that their experience is real and that gender is a psychological construct that mm-hmm. we build. And that, the, so there is such a thing as sex and there is such a thing as gender. Sex and gender are two different things and mm-hmm. both exist on a continuum, in my opinion. And, Gender is what we believe we are. Sex is what our biology is. Mm. And those two things don't always match up. That is just a fact of life. And from what I understand, from what I have read, I have read two books on this subject. So from what I understand and from what I've seen in people I love is that going identifying as the sex that they identify as or mm. that they associate themselves with is the best thing for them. Sure. And if it's between living a life of misery, if it's between living a life of misery and shame and agony, yeah. or finally being able to live a life of peace and move on and do and, and have a full life and contribute to society and be the person that you want to be, this one shot we've got at life. And the only way to do that is to identify as a woman or identify as a man, then they should identify as a man or a woman, whatever, however they want to identify. That that to me is very much how how I see it. And I admit that I am quite ignorant on this subject. To many people I know, it is between killing themselves sure. or being a woman. Yeah. Or I, killing actually, themselves and being a man. I think that that most of the uh, most of the credible statistics that you <laughs> that you could pull up on this kind of stuff would affirm that absolutely yeah whether it is a mental illness or not and i want to be really careful saying this because i'm i'm not saying that it is a mental illness whether it is a mental illness or not simply doesn't matter in light of that sure if their treatment if what makes them at peace if what makes them be at peace is to identify as the gender that they perceive themselves to be, if that is what resolves the agony that results from a mental illness, right? then that's the cure, right? Sure. If it resolves their anguish, that's the cure. Yeah, I, I think that's one way of looking at it. I mean... 
and I'm not going to say that it. I don't think it is a mental illness, but if it was a mental illness, yeah, I mean, and at the risk, I of, would still support. This. Yeah, I would still support them. Yeah, and yeah, I was going to say, like, at the risk of sounding like I'm checking out of of this portion of the conversation, that's actually not my not my intent. I simply don't know. I yeah, actually, I do feel I, like I, I have either. a lot of gay friends, but for whatever reason, I I truly don't have. Yeah. Uh, if I do have a transgender friend and I don't know that you are, I'm sorry for not seeing it sooner, but I kind of just, I kind of just don't care. And this overarching theme that we sort of have is that like, why is the church constantly waving sexuality in front of people? Cause I feel like it's sort of distracting. Yes. I feel like it's like, no, you're, you're the one that wants to keep talking about it. You're the guys that want to get together. The rest in a room. of us just want to get yeah, on. With, I want to get, get on. on with my life. I, I think that there's something very sacred and beautiful about being human, and I think that that experience looks different for everybody. It looks it looks d- distinctly weird for every person. <laughs> yes. Like, and, and it's a process too. And the same clothes that you wore when you were 5 the same thoughts and beliefs and ideas about the world that you wore when you were 5 are not the same ones that you wear now they're really uncomfortable now you exactly. know what i mean like and i think that there's something beautiful in that too like i just want to care about people as people and believing that they're created as something sacred regardless of what their thoughts or ideas or identities that they consider themselves to be about sexuality are. Because I think being human is the most important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, a common refrain that I heard when I was, you know, trying, struggling with coming out is, why are you identifying as gay when you should be identifying as a child of God? (laughs) Right. Why are you, especially, especially. But look at them. Look what they're doing. Yes. It's not a cool. (laughs) Yes. I mean, look, why are you identifying? And, you know, of course, these people believe that homosexuality is sinful. So why are you identifying as as this sinful identity when you should just identify as a child of God? Well, the answer is that if I don't own my homosexuality. If then, I don't, then you're denying it. Then I'm denying it. Then I'm shutting that part of myself down. There is empowerment in names. There is empowerment in language. And so that's why I have to say I'm gay. Because if you don't know that about me, then you don't mm-hmm. know me. You don't know my humanity. Right. If you don't know the fact that I am oriented towards men, well, that radically changes my view of the universe. Right. And if you don't know that about me, then you are missing my humanity. Mm. And, and so I think... What you're saying is true about we need there the beauty is in the humanity, but in order to get there, mm. we have to see people's individual experiences. It is mm. significant that a black person is black. We can't be colorblind because their specific experience of being black. <laughs> That's how you understand their humanity. And those conversations piss me off to no end. Which conversations? The, um, the, uh, the I'm colorblind, I don't, I don't see color. Oh, fuck. And I'm like, why? Well, now we're just being stupid. Yes. Now it's like, no, they're black. They're beautiful. They're different than you. Yes. They're like, embrace that. Like, yes. I, I don't know why you have to did, pretend like, oh, I don't I don't see color. Well, did no. You, did you hear my, my mini episode on Charlottesville? Did you happen to listen to that? I, no, I don't think I heard that. Okay, one, no. okay. Well, we we are getting on a 
tangent right now. I know we we still have a few more to. Okay. To, well, to okay. Let's through. let's okay. Yeah. Let's, let's save it. Save let's it for save a minute. This for for a bit, and then let's go on. Let's okay. Go cool. On. Article six. Ooh, that's a long one. Uh oh. Okay. Kidding. I'm going to listen really hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a bit ones. fuzzy because of the cider, so <laughs> I'm I'm going to focus. <laughs> You've had like a quarter of a can, and you're yeah. like, you're what like I Peter said, Griffin licking the butter rum. When I what I said that you were taking your life into your hands by giving me alcohol, I <laughs> I meant it. So so for listeners who 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 need to know, I am on psychiatric meds to keep me from being Jack Torrance <laughs> in The Shining. Yeah, so they I'm on mood stabilizing meds, and they interact really intensely with alcohol. And so I have like one beer, and I. I feel like I'm date rape drugged for the rest of the day. <laughs> so, so you you put me in this situation. <laughs> it was it was consensual. I look like an instigator. In, in you are totally an instigator. I, if this podcast goes off the rails really hard, I'm going to blame you. That's good. Going going off the rails makes really excellent television. Maybe it makes excellent podcasts too. It does. Um, this is, we're in a cabin in the woods. Anything. Yes. Can, yes. Can go down. In Black Mountain, no doubt. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just mountain. We don't see color here. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Article 6 of the National Statement, we affirm that those born with a physical disorder of sex development are created in the image of God and have dignity. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank God for letting me know that. Um, are created in the image of God. <laughs> they should have just started with that. <laughs> well, now I know that according to everyone that signed this statement, I am created in the image of God, even if I, even if the, there's some sort of physical disorder. Even if you secretly have ovaries. Yes. Like, that, I'm glad. Yeah. Even if I'm Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, we affirm that those born with a physical disorder of sex development are created in the image of God and have dignity and worth equal to all other image bearers. This is really, this is hardcore Christianese right here and probably may not make a ton of sense to anybody who wasn't a Christian True, reading any of that. True. Um, They are acknowledged by our Lord Jesus in his words about eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, in quotations. With all others, they are welcome as faithful followers of Jesus Christ and should embrace their biological sex insofar as it may be known. But who decides that? Hmm. Sorry, let's let's get to the deny. Yes, yes, um, yes, we deny that ambiguities related to a person's biological sex render one incapable of living a fruitful life in joyful obedience to Christ. Okay, okay, read that one more time. We we deny uh-huh. that ambiguities, everything aforementioned and what they were affirming. Yes. Related to a person's biological sex, render one incapable of living a fruitful life. In joyful obedience to Christ. So, I guess I what see. that means is, it, just because you may be born with some sort of physical defect or, or malformity, doesn't mean that you can't also live a fruitful life in joyful obedience. I see to Christ. I see. Okay. Yeah. No. I've. I. Okay. Uh, my immediate response is bullshit because if if we assume if we if we believe that gender complementarianism is true and if you believe that homosexuality and transgenderism is sinful no a person cannot thrive in that mm. no it's just not a, not a reality not a 
according to my observed experience from a lifetime of being gay in the church, right. that is not a reality. Mm. A few people can make it work. A few pe- I know a small handful of people who are gay and celibate and who believe that God does not ordain gay marriage, that it is not God's best for them, and it does not work. Or it works for them, kind of. Okay. But for the vast majority, it doesn't work, and it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I fell apart. It was so destructive for me to shut down that entire part of my being because here's the thing. Denial, repression— is not a fine instrument. A a really wise friend of mine told me this once. Repression is not a fine instrument with which you can go into your psyche and clamp down, cut out that one little thing that you want to get rid of or that you want to shut down. That's not how that works for most people. Repression is a blunt instrument. And when you shut down one thing, Mm. like your orientation, you shut down a hell of a lot of of, of other stuff. And so you shut down your capacity for friendship. You shut down your capacity for creativity. Mm. You shut down your capacity for all of this stuff. For feeling self-worth. Yeah. It is a blunt instrument that impacts all the stuff surrounding it. That is not a life of thriving. It just isn't. I think that a lot of people see gay people suffering through celibacy. And say, that's a, that's a victorious life. Mm. They're carrying their cross. They're thriving. <clears throat> I've never, I've never known that to be the case. I have never. Oh, I have. That, that's two, my personal experience, but I have. I never have. Known that. I have two or three friends who are who are fine. You know, they have a good life. They're fine. Yeah, I think, and and they subscribe to this. They they do. Okay, I think that it is incredibly destructive to to make that the standard for the entire gay community, mm. LGBT community, trans community, and so on. Because here's, the, uh, let's do a little. Uh, thought experiment. Let's say that there is an entire city of ordinary people, huge city, size of New York, ordinary people. Mm. And then this religious power descends upon it and says, and and basically quarantines it and says, you are no longer permitted to experience sexuality. You are no longer permitted to to have a a meaningful partnership Mm. with your spouse. Right. Young people in your teens and 20s give up the idea of sexuality. You'll never have it. Mm. People who are partnered and who have been together for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, break up. It's sinful. Mm. That is, all of it is sinful. The rest of the world, though, they can have sex, they can have partners, they can have children, so on and so forth. What do you think is the response of this city? Mm. The response of this city is rage, mm. is rebellion, is sure. anger, is is hatred, because mm. an integral aspect of who they are has been denied. The gay community is the size of a small country. Mm. To take that entire population and say, you are forbidden from experiencing human sexuality, can you imagine the effects of it? Well, we, we've seen the effects of it. Yeah. I think that the gay community, or I think the church, is in the curious position of encouraging a culture of of libertinism by saying your sexuality is sinful. There is no healthy container for it, and by denying it, and people, and therefore denying the gay community a healthy and secure container for their relationships. Stephen, I'm really glad that you brought that up because 
one of the pushbacks that I've seen in, in several media outlets against the Nashville statement um, was basically that you got all of these people you consider to be leaders of evangelicalism in America together in a room. And there's no, and this is the statement that they come out with to the world. And we're only six articles in. Yeah. And there has been nothing, nothing in it about trying to rectify the broken relationship that the church has with the LGBT community. Any of the mistreatment. Yes. That pray the gay away didn't work. Yes. (laughs) That we've been oppressive. That in the name of Christ, we tried to deny you basic rights within our own government like there's none of that and there's none of the hey we're sorry for actually standing idly by and letting you be mistreated mm-hmm. we're, we're sorry that we kept inviting you into our midst but we wanted you to change more than this god who we tell you wants you to come as you are yes like there's none of that it's it's it almost it feels so tone deaf yes that it's hard to take seriously yes when you can't acknowledge any of the other things, it's kind of like that one dude that just won't ever admit that they were wrong about anything, but like loves running for school president <laughs> so that he can tell everyone what to do. Yeah. Like, exactly. I don't know. And, and I mean, the fact that this statement came out in conjunction with the Charlottesville riot. Oh, yeah. With these devastating hurricanes that are destroying lives. I mean, Part of me, yes, this is a very, very important topic. And part of me thinks that it is the equivalent, that what they are doing is the equivalent of what, like, all of the royal houses in Game of Thrones is doing <laughs> while right. the White Walkers are coming <clears throat> down from the north. There are so much more important issues. Yeah. What about the topic of of hunger what about global warming yeah. what about all of the what about the, the <laughs> possibility of a pandemic wiping out so much of the population there are there are so many things pressing right now so yeah. many threats to human well-being and i'm like what kind of planet do you have to be on that this is the most important subject yeah what planet do you are you on that this is the greatest threat to humanity that yeah. the fact that i have a partner and we're just trying to live our lives. What planet are you on <laughs> where that trumps all this other stuff? I think I think when you start to gosh, I'm trying to think of maybe the best way to put this. I what I understand of the Bible is that it tells me about one man who came to earth and got it right. Yes. And he did not come to earth to bring us a book. Yes. To fight about. Yes. I think the book tells us about him. Yes. But I don't know if this book was ever meant. <laughs> like, I have a hard time imagining Jesus coming to earth as a man and then being like, guys, um, so I just started a Kickstarter for this new thing called a printing press. It's not going to be around for a while, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be I've around got a book. For I'm writing a book. 500 years, <laughs> yeah. but you know. <laughs> I've got this book, um, and it's going to be great. No one's ever going to take it out of context. No one's ever going to twist my words around because God knows that the government's totally on board with what I'm doing right now. And it's so clear. It'll be so <laughs> obvious. It's so crystal clear. No one will ever be able to. <laughs> and it's just like that. Just 
how asinine that sounds. That yes. there's nothing about Jesus that ever gives any indication that what he really cared about was giving everyone a book to fight and argue over. And I think a great myth is that the Bible is clear. Oh, I don't think it could, anything could be further I from think, the truth. I think the Bible is an extraordinary, extraordinarily complex book. Yeah. And that is just evidence of the fact that we have these three major traditions, Eastern, or we have the Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant traditions, and all of them have been fighting for like 2,000 years over what this well, book says. It's, and a, it's how a book we about humanity. It. Exactly. And humanity is complex. Exactly. And it's always moving. I see, you know, I'm a, I'm a lover of literature. And at the end of the day, that's why I love scripture. Is I think that it is one of the greatest pieces of literature and one of the greatest pictures of human nature. Mm. I think it's a book about how we have struggled to see God. Mm. I think it, you know... Um, the, this great author, Mike McArg, Science Mike on, on the internet, he has— Science Mike, yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. In his book, Finding God in the Waves, he, he says the Bible is inspired by God in the yeah. same way that a love song that he wrote for his wife is inspired by his wife. Mm. Okay, It is inspired by God in that it is about God. It is about human, nat- it is about yeah. human nature's need to understand God. Yeah. It isn't inspired by God in that I it was it was directly dictated by him. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah, I th- I think that's a beautiful thought. Um <clears throat> we are at Article seven. Okay. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm like that. I have like a I'm about an inch into the cider and I'm feeling it. <laughs> okay. Okay, so Article Seven, pretty uh short and to the point. We affirm that self-conception as male or female should be defined by God's holy purposes in creation and redemption as revealed in Scripture. Ugh. We de- I know, I've already got problems. We deny that adopting a homosexual or transgender self-conception is consistent with God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. So first of all, that you could make such a claim that you could know the mind of God enough to make such a statement. Isn't there something in your own book, in your own Bible, about being tempted? Yes. To know the mind and will of God? Isn't that, didn't that happen in a garden somewhere? Wasn't that kind of towards the front of the book? Yeah. I feel like that, I don't understand how you... I don't know how you can walk away feeling like, yes, let's say that. So I wrote a piece, and I'm just going to read the last paragraph of it. Sure. Which which speaks to this, because it, it pretty much sums up my my thoughts on this. Yeah, and again, the caveat to this conversation is that there we, we actually we don't have anybody in the room right now defending the Nashville statement or giving the other side of it. This is kind of just like... Two people, <laughs> the only the the only sides that we may be representing, um, kind of insignificant. Like, because yeah. I, I feel like we feel very similar. I feel like I feel much more like this is therapy for the two of us. <laughs> and, there it is, and maybe that's, and that's you know it. I I'm not here, and I said this in a previous episode. I'm not here to provide answers for people. Mm. I'm here to provide a sense of company. Yeah. For people. And feel free to disagree. Feel free to disagree, but hopefully we have fun along the way. Hopefully, you know, we can we can light a campfire together and share some time together and and some stories and some yeah. comfort. Bef- you know, in, in kind of this vast 
dark, confusing place called life, yeah. and, and we can provide some company for one another. That's my goal. And so I think that another, another criticism that I have of how this seems to view the world is what I call a hypothetheory. Mm. Okay. A hypothesis. Most people don't know the difference between hypothesis and theory. Yeah. And science people, I'll probably get this wrong. Please don't shoot me. <laughs> um, <laughs> hypothesis is an idea you have about how the world works. Okay. Yeah. Well, then you go into the lab and you test it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and then it becomes a theory. Okay. So germ theory, the fact that germs cause sickness, that's still a theory. Okay. Theory does not mean it is up for debate. Right. That's not what that means. Right. A theory is something that is on is an in ongoing thing and be and it has been tested to be true in the lab. Okay. So in my limited understanding, please science people who are way smarter than me, please comment and Yeah, that's and, that's basic scientific method. I feel yeah, like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's like okay. high so, school beginning of high school kind of stuff. So um I forget the guy who came who came up with the word hypothetheory. I think it was John Green. No, it wasn't John Green. It was his brother who's who's a science guy and he has a, a great YouTube channel. Yeah. Um a hypothetheory is where you come up with this idea you like. Yeah. And about the nature of the universe. Yeah. And then you bypass all testing, all all observational in a, all observation in a lab. Right. And you just jump to a theory. Mm. And hence is born the hypothetheory. Right. Okay. The idea that gender complementarianism is true is a hypothetheory. Mm. It is an idea that we like about the universe. It appeals to us. We find it beautiful. Yeah. Well, then we just jump to it being true right. without the test, without it actually being true. Okay, so I, here's something that I wrote about this. Yeah. This is this is the very end of my art. Sorry, there's spoilers. This is the very end of my <laughs> article on my on my website. Gender alchemy, which I, which is what I call complementarianism. That's a cool title. Gender alchemy, wrought on yeah. Okay, so let me unpack that. Gender al. I call it gender alchemy because it's the belief that the combination of these two elements, male and female, yields a magical state. Right? Okay. <laughs> Combination of certain metals creates sure. gold. That's the equivalent of what people believe about gender. That right. male and female plus marriage creates magic. Right. And a the, and morally the, superior state. Okay. Gender <laughs> alchemy wrought unprecedented anguish on my psyche. As I try to align my here and now, my flesh and blood, to a theoretical system of gender that is only true... Because it says it's true. And I'm done with it. I'm not only done with it, I'm done debating it with Christians. Mm. I appreciate the fact that gender complementarianism is a deeply held belief, that it is the cornerstone for non-affirming theology, that it is meaningful and beautiful to many Christians. Because it matters to them, it matters to me. Yeah. But I'm done arguing and defending. I'm too fatigued, too battered down, by the psychic costs of such a debate, and I just can't do it anymore. How do I fight against a toxic cloud? How do I fight against superstition that invalidates my deepest passions and the most important relationship in my life? The only way I know to change minds at this point is to stop trying to control the beliefs of the church and to live my own life with integrity. Mm. 
now living post-gender alchemy, I have a new source of consolation, science. Science is the answer to the pain of a lifetime built on the intangible. Science is solid, rooted in the here and now. Science is in a constant, sa- in a constant state of self-reformation and criticism, mm-hmm. refining itself through a series of laws. Science allows me to embrace all truth, no matter where I find it. Mm-hmm. Science allows me to be open-minded and skeptical at the same time. It gives me truth about the universe without judgment. <laughs> Science tells me that when I experience union with my partner, that union is real, as real as the electricity surging through my brain, as in any other brain. Science tells me that my relationship with my partner is adding years to my life, and science tells me how to create a sustainable, secure, and life-giving relationship with my partner that benefits the world. Mm. I can't help but believe that I have found true magic, true alchemy, and it's rooted in testable and observable reality. That's what I believe. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I I, I think that stands to reason. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I it it's so it's so weird because it's like even if you when somebody when somebody articulates a truth about their life about where they are that they have worked for that they have gone through that is not a regurgitation of something of of a philosophy or of an idea or a principle that they just kind of keep saying no this is how the world works this is how it should work this is the right thing and they just tell you without all of those hindrances and, and encumbrances, like, this is where I am and this is why I'm here. Yes. And these are my thoughts on it. Yes. And this is where I am right at now. At this moment in time. At this moment in time. It's I, a I snapshot. Wasn't, it wasn't there three years ago. I may not be there in three years. But there's just like something so much more true. And I feel like you. The ability to connect with that is so much easier because there's nothing. I'm sorry. I'm, no, I'm... no, you're good. Okay, okay, go on. Yeah. Okay, we're good now. There, there's nothing about what you're saying that that makes anybody want to debate it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you're not saying I've come down on this thing, on this like this belief and this principle, and it should be that way for everybody. Yeah. You're like, no, this is this, this is, is where I'm me. at. There's something so disarming about honesty. Yes. And I don't know why we don't do it more often. And there's something dis- disarming about stories, which is why I don't debate anymore. I tell stories. Mm. I'm a I'm a storyteller. I'm I I'm not a great intellectual. I'm not a I think there's a guy in the Bible that was kind of that way too. Yeah, I, I think so too. <laughs> um and I think the world needs more stories of minorities and it needs more stories of LGBT people. And so I think so too. I may not be able to change many minds and I may not have the greatest arguments, but I have a story. And I think at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. I think that's beautiful. And I feel very fortunate to be sitting here and hearing, oh, that's hearing your you. story. Yeah. I, I think what we should do is maybe call it a day on the episode and move to another. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so this is turning into a really long conversation. Maybe in the next episode, I'll just be completely drunk, in which case I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize in advance. Uh, no, this... you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't apologize. Um, Matt has given me one one cider, and I'm about 
two inches through it and like, girl, I'm already feeling it. Uh, But so uh, stay tuned for the next episode. The music is by Matt Langston, The Jelly Rocks. And the logo, the art design is by Justin Caleb Bryant. If you love my work and want to support my work, then go to sbradfordlong.com. You can become a patron there, and you can read all my dozens of articles about faith and doubt, sexuality, mental health, and whatever strikes my fancy. So see you next time.